1: Knowledge silos happen when different parts of a team
0: understand different parts of a system and don't understand other parts of that system. It's a natural state of system growth, but eventually it gets in the way of innovation. In this episode, we're going to discuss how knowledge silos develop, their symptoms, and how to overcome them, as well as when you need to do so. But before we get started,
1: we'll... What's been siloing you lately? Well, I kind of feel like uh, AWS today, you know, put me in a silo and told me to go to the bathroom in a corner because uh, <laughs> uh, US East 1 went down or had equipment problems. I don't know if they actually completely went down, but that was a pretty bad hair day <laughs> because that's where our stuff is. Yeah. It's, it's been a really long day. I'm just like, I'm, I'm completely cooked. I, I actually was relieved when I got done with work today and just worked on my Russian homework because it wasn't that hard. That's that's where my mind was at this point. So, yeah, it was loads of fun. How about you?
0: Oh, dude, life has been uh, a bit hectic lately. No joke. Just go, go, go. Not so much work. Work's been pretty good. It's been steady, but it's been good. We did have a, a similar thing uh, about a week or so ago with... Uh, Microsoft Azure going down. So the nice thing is we that just affected development because I don't think we have anything in production there yet. We're in the process of moving. So it might have been one or two things that were down, but the the big thing that defected was uh was development and testing. So that was that was fun. We had a big conference this past weekend at church. Well, actually it was just an all day conference on Saturday. I think I was at the church from well, other than a trip to Starbucks, I was at the church from about seven forty-five until about seven forty-five, so about twelve hours. Yeah, because we had we had a our church service that night too, and so I stuck around and helped clean up and set up. And then I've been working on the uh, the creative team camera because we have a, a camera for recording stuff, a video camera. I've been working on that, uh, trying to figure stuff out, learning different things about it so yeah that that was fun had a friend from Virginia come in Uh, he was going to the conference we had at church and so he stayed with me this weekend that was a lot of fun it was kind of neat having someone else in the house you know someone to sit and talk to uh, in the mornings you know while drinking coffee and stuff that was kind of cool it was like like having a roommate for a few days leave (laughs) yeah but they leave yeah yeah so, uh, but I'll be honest with you. He's, he's kind of tall, like, I like think he's six, seven. And so when I offered to let him stay here, I was thinking, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've got the futon. It's, you know, it's a full size bed. No big deal. And then something was said about his height and I'm like, oh, crud. He is I've got really a friend tall. like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big problem. Literally. <laughs> So I have a I have a queen size bed in my room and I'm like, you know what? I wasn't gonna like do spend too much time on my room when I was cleaning up, getting ready for him. But I'm like, you know, I'm gonna let him have my room, you because know, it's gonna be a lot more comfortable for him to to sleep in there. So yeah, I slept on the futon. Uh that was that was fun. So yeah. And finals are finally finished. Yeah, now I can uh, return this infernal networking book back to the pits of Hades. I mean, Amazon? Throw it back into the warehouse from whence it came. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm just glad this class is over, to be honest with you. I am definitely... I, talked, I think I told you guys this, but I talked to my advisor. I'm taking this semester off and just getting a, a mental break. I'm kind of stepping away from a lot of stuff and just going, all right, where do I want to put my focus? Because I've been stretched too thin this past semester I knew I was getting myself into that because I needed I needed that to get me out of the funk I was in um, at the end of the summer but now I need a break from that and I need to focus on okay what do I want to put my my time and attention
1: into so so you went, that's where so you got out of the funk and went to the disco oh yeah yeah <laughs> Saving money is hard, especially when you place bets on what kind of joke Will is going to tell.
0: Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial
1: Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah, and just like us uh, here at Complete Developer Podcast, he has a focus on helping you to not only establish an actual real plan for what you're going to do, but to take action on that plan so that you can create the kind of life you want to live.
0: Yeah, guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. With the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making better financial decisions
1: will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey.
0: And best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. What that means is he's not there to sell you a product or to tell you you need to buy this or that. But he's there to help guide you. You pay for a service for him to guide you to a better financial situation.
1: And speaking of guidance, you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics you probably face. And he also interviews other tech people there who share how they navigated their careers. And finally, he also has even more stuff on levelupfinancialplanning.com.
0: Knowledge silos are very common in professional software development environments. They are a natural phenomenon caused by a variety of situations. Company mergers and acquisitions are one source of them. Another source is just having separate teams working on entirely separate projects that suddenly have to integrate. Knowledge silos can also be created when a company goes through a period of strong growth or decline. Regardless. Knowledge silos are something you will encounter to some degree in every workplace.
1: And it's worth your while to do what you can to attempt to break down these knowledge silos when you see them. Not only do they often create extra work, but they can also cause really subtle errors and even make it difficult to evolve your software to deal with changing conditions in the market. Uh, And that includes regulatory issues. Knowledge silos also reduce the resilience of your organization as a whole, making you dependent on a small subset of your team for critical functionality. Even worse, they can also introduce an us versus them dynamic in teams that would otherwise work well together because you know the blame for a problem is always the other dude or other chick's fault.
0: No, knowledge silos are difficult to break down. You're not going to be able to do it in a day nor are you likely to be able to do it during someone's two-week notice period. Uh, instead, they generally have to be disassembled over quite a bit of time while other work is still getting done. Like This seriously requires some time, guys, uh, because it's exactly the same kind of exploration of a new system that occurs when a new employee is hired. It's essentially a loop of being told things followed by exploring and then asking more questions until the person is comfortable and familiar with that part of the system. Sometimes that doesn't happen until they've actually had to be in there and do stuff in it for a little while and ask their questions while working on it. You really
1: can't rush this process. Yeah, you can really think of it as sort of a refactoring of your organizational structure, right? Like nobody who wants to not get fired tells the team to stop completely until a huge refactoring can take place most of the time. Uh, you do that slowly over time. Yeah, I mean, there's there's the occasional person that, that pulls it off. But for the most part, that's just not going to work. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some things that you can do to help weaken and wear down knowledge silos in your organization. In addition, most of these tactics have other more obvious benefits for your organization, which can help you a lot if you're not trying to do this openly. And this can be necessary as a result of office politics, by the way. So like this is not a neutral operation. While you may have a lot more leverage to remove these problems as a manager, even a junior developer can apply many of these tactics to reduce knowledge siloing in an organization. And best of all, many of these practices will also inhibit the growth of future knowledge silos.
0: So guys, in the aftercast, we are going to talk about how knowledge silos occur and how to recognize them in your organization. So let's go ahead and get started.
1: Yeah. So the first thing is obviously to start prioritizing collaboration between silos. Uh, These silos occur because you didn't, you know, fundamentally. So like if the thing causes a problem, stop doing the thing. You know, like it's common sense when you say it like that, but it's, it gets missed a lot. A lack of collaboration will cause a knowledge silo over time. You know, By definition, that means that you should encourage collaboration just to help avoid accumulating more knowledge silos, even if it doesn't break the existing ones down very well.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big thing, uh, especially when you start to go, hey, we need to, we have some knowledge silos. Before even starting to break them down, you have to stop the process that started them because you may be breaking down this knowledge
1: silo while another one is building up. Well, you probably are, right? You're making two teams collaborate and there's a third team over here that's now completely shut out from what both those teams are doing. Yeah. When people from different teams work together, they
0: obviously learn from each other. However, it also helps people establish work relationships that enable them to continue to learn even after the current task is done and this is this is very important because I have seen this just like coming onto a team that did a very good job like of avoiding knowledge silos because they did have different teams they they like you build something and then you kind of move to something else with a different team and like they mix mix it up so that you get different people talking about different things to one another but I have literally seen someone on one team go to a person on a different team for help because they knew that
1: person was really good at that particular area. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what you're trying to go for here. It also just makes any future collaboration easier, right? Like people don't get comfortable with each other instantly. At least normal psychologically healthy people don't get comfortable with each other instantly. And while in tech, sometimes we get accused of not being overly psychologically healthy. That's probably really not true at the level we like to joke about. But when you want to build a collaborative relationship, the goal is to reduce the friction of communication between different groups, so that it's easier to do, so that they do it more. And mm-hmm. this also helps uh, in regards to keeping interpersonal relationships uh, out of the mix. You know, people, you know, butting heads. They don't. They don't integrate you know, stuff together often. They don't have to talk often. But when they do, they you know they butt heads every time. Well, if you get those people talking on the regular more than likely it either comes to a head or it smooths out, right? Like it's not always going to be this, you know, oppositional thing. Like it it gets solved a lot quicker.
0: So next, treat documentation as a first-class
1: output. I mean, honestly, this... Oh, I could make a rant that that would go longer than an episode.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Same, same here, same here. So um, like unit tests, documentation is... Almost always an afterthought. And also, like unit tests, this is a really bad approach for long term system stability. Even though you can move faster right now by putting it off. And I'll be honest with you, like we're joking about the unit tests just yesterday, I got I got excited because I finished something earlier than I thought I was going to. Like it it all went together and I threw out the PR and I forgot to update my unit tests. Yep. And yeah, one of my junior developers, like he was like, Hey, you know, your, your build didn't pass test. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'll fix it in the morning. I got (laughs) to (laughs) go.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, I'll fix it in the morning. I I know what I did wrong. Thanks for catching it. (laughs) I've had the one where it's like, Hey, you changed functionality. And your unit test didn't break. And a junior dev called that one out. Said, dude. <laughs> you know yeah, That's good too. That's, yeah, that's. Uh, you really do have to treat it as a. As a first class citizen. Um, you know, we. We have this. Mindset shift that we need to undergo in tech. Where the person using the system is not the only consumer of the system. Right. Like there's four or five other use cases, at least usually that are just as important and have to be maintained or things fall apart. Right. Like they don't just build cars for drivers. They also build them for mechanics. Well, (laughs) talk to
0: some mechanics and they'll say, there's,
1: there's one or two mechanics. uh, There's, there's a mechanic that just threw a wrench and probably a 10 millimeter that he's not going to ever find again Threw it. (laughs) And, and is like, no, they don't, you know, they theoretically should, right? You hate to work on those kind of vehicles that, you know, are where you gotta take the whole front off to change a light. <laughs> you know? uh, right. There's other consumers other than the consumer you think is there. And you know, the the knowledge silos really develop a lot because we forget that other teams still have to interact with the system even if they're not the the front end user. And it's, it's really easy to forget your own coworkers because you think, Oh, they know how I was thinking when I did this, or they, you know, it, it's easy to assume knowledge that, that people yeah. may or may not have. And if you do it long enough, you know, just the fact that you ignored documentation on its own will create a knowledge silo. Like that's, that's the birthplace of knowledge silos right there.
0: Documentation also helps prevent organizational knowledge loss because of employee attrition. This sort of knowledge loss when someone leaves tends to produce siloing, because the people who are left behind are overloaded with work and trying to recover that lost knowledge, and they're really not in any position to help each other or the new person coming on. I, I will be honest with you; I was very cognizant of this when I left my last job to uh, to take this promotion to lead in another department because, hey, we still work for the same company. We're still like, I still keep in touch with them. I actually had a call with my replacement the other day where he was like, hey, we're coming into this stuff that is, he's like, we've reached the end of your like what you had mapped out and now all I have is the design specs you did a year ago. Can we hop on a call and like, you can answer my questions. Like, yeah, that's that's no problem. But knowing this was coming, I was able to get everything ready so that when he came in, he just was able to step right in, read the code, read the documentation, and go. Yeah. I cannot say that I've always been that way. I'll just be honest. And I learned
1: it the hard way to do that. So, yeah. Well, and I think every time, you feel like it could have been better. Right, like this is something you're never going to be like. Yeah, I got this down. Yeah, it's just you stink less than last time, <laughs> and, and and that's exactly how you're going to feel about it when you die. Although, hopefully, you're not thinking about documentation when you when you go. <laughs> you know, like, I feel oh like I don't goodness. want Jira involved. Thanks. <laughs> seems <Yikes. laughs> yeah, like to no. drag it out a lot. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you. So, speaking of dragging things out. Uh, One thing you also need to look into doing is actually fixing your onboarding procedures. And I know this sounds like kind of managerial, but it's actually something junior devs can really, really help with a lot because managers can't necessarily see what they're not telling you that you need to know because they make assumptions that you can't make. So you, you have a unique place here. So this is why we put this in the list. Anytime a organization has rapid growth, turnover, or in a lot of cases, they'll have both, it's really easy to get a silo, especially if your onboarding process is not particularly good. Generally speaking, new people need to be able to quickly work in as much of the system as possible simply so that you don't create a knowledge silo because you get a new person coming in. They don't know some other piece of the system. Some dude leaves. And that happens to be the last dude that knew that. Now there's a knowledge silo that no longer exists in your org, but the code does. Like, this helps avoid that.
0: So if it's, just out of curiosity, if it's a knowledge silo and the person leaves, is that just like a knowledge pit? It's a crypt. It's a crypt, okay. Because I'm like, it's like, there's there's not this like one person who knows it. There's like no one who knows it. So it's like just this pit of
1: nobody knows. Yeah, it's a it's a null reference exception for your knowledge base.
0: Oh, yes, I love those. Not.
1: Yeah, well, you have to catch it.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. So that's why you can't cover everything in onboarding. You want to make sure that if someone gets stuck in a particular area, they know who to contact for help. That's very key. I mean, no joke. I I've experienced this. Like I said, you know, what 8 months ago have I been here for eight months? Yeah, about eight months ago is when I, I took on the role, the lead developer role. And there's stuff that just two weeks ago, I had to reach out and I knew who to reach out to to help me with this because they did such a good job of preparing me. I actually went back uh, and because I had to fill out some documentation and put in my hire date for this position. And uh, I was looking at my calendar because like, you know, the week before I got hired, there's nothing on there. The week I got hired, it's like all full the whole week. Yeah. And some of that was literally like a two hour slot with, with our architect for setting up my machine. Of course, we got in there and while we were setting up the PC, we found out, oh, hey, you're getting a Mac. Like I had requested one, and like, oh well, they have one for you, so you can pick it up Thursday. Oh well, we're not going to set this thing up then. (laughs) Yeah, you know, get get me to where I can go to meetings, and that's all I need.
1: Yeah, our organization does a pretty good job with this because they make the team leads meet and train people on different things, and so like you already know several people you can reach out to who are senior uh, in various areas, and and that really helps it's the first time I've actually seen at least in a very long time where onboarding was done properly or done reasonably well. Like it just, most places they just kind of go, yeah, once your machine works, we're going to start throwing stuff at you. And, and I don't, I don't think that that helps them in the long term. I think they lose a lot more time by not doing this. That said, uh, you need to be really careful during the onboarding thing because like you can't overload people, right? Like you give them the fire hose, they're just going to shut down. At some point, but what you also can't do is say, "Well, we're just going to cross train them later," because as a new employee becomes more and more competent and useful, or you know, conversely, they become less competent and then they get canned. They get to where they have less and less time available to learn new things. At least in most organizations, right? Like your workload doesn't drop the longer you've been there, at least until you've been there a very, very long time.
0: So, it's next, you want know, to increase the scope of training sessions. When you have training sessions for your team, it's wise to try to open those training sessions for broader slices of the team than you're gonna. You think you're gonna need basically. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to just include developers. Other related jobs may benefit as well. Uh, yeah, when we started using Postman, I trained the developers, but I also pulled in the QA. Yeah, and like we. We trained them, but they really, they weren't going to be using it until we had a project where they were. And while I still had to go through and do some retraining with them, it was a lot easier because they already had a basic knowledge of how it worked.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like you train your people so they can execute on something. You train people outside your group so that they can go, hey, what about this? Yeah. And that gets you like it increases the pipeline of really good ideas that come to you. So it's 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 not just a knowledge silo thing. It's like you're getting a bigger you're getting a bigger farm for your silo to sit Mm -hmm. in. I guess is the best way. I don't know. I really can't take that metaphor anywhere else without it. You know, ending up being uh, there's going to be a reference to cow droppings if I take the metaphor much further. So, (laughs) so yeah, expanding your training scope really really helps. Um, The other thing it does is that you reduce or well you you reinforce the notion that understanding certain portions of the system is not just a task for a single team but that it's a whole team thing and that team can expand quite a bit. You know one team might be better at a particular set of tasks or they might be the default people but allowing other interested parties to attend makes it a lot more difficult for silos to form.
0: Yeah. It also helps in other ways such as when you have to train a broader team, you're not able to make as many assumptions about what the attendees will know coming in, which is good because it makes you do a better job explaining, which builds better training material. I, this was another thing that I ran into training our QAs on Postman is I, I found out that some of the UI devs Really didn't understand how APIs worked that well. It was just a magic box to them. Well, it is, and, yeah. But I mean, this was more of the junior ones um, who were, you know, pretty pretty new to the job. But still, it was kind of like a magic box to them. Like they had done some in school, uh, like in their boot camp. But and so it was, it was kind of cool going through that and like explaining it the way I was explaining it to someone who wasn't a developer. To where they were able to, like, I actually had someone come up and say, like, hey, that really helped me. I have a much better appreciation for what you do as an API developer.
1: That was one of the other developers. Yeah. So,
0: like, that was really cool.
1: So, another thing you need to do, and this one is actually, sounds easier and is actually harder (laughs) than you might think. But you want to stop playing favorites or, you know, that's if you're a manager. Or assuming that certain work is only for elite developers. So if you're a regular dev. In some environments, you get knowledge silos that aren't really created by lack of sharing, but it's a lack of trust. Or by things like management protecting certain groups from having to share their knowledge for various reasons. While this does protect their time and attention in the short term, in the long term, it means that they're the only ones that can handle certain issues. And as they handle those issues, they accumulate knowledge that doesn't go out to the rest of the team. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is this is one of those things where I've seen this where it's like, oh, well, only these people work on this system because, you know, they were around when it was built and so they understand it. And or like, oh, go to this person for this kind of story because, you know, they're really good they can they can handle the tougher things don't telling junior developers not to take on difficult tasks and there are, there are times where it's like hey you know we we have a time crunch so I was like hey let me take that and you guys grab this other thing but right now and most of the time i encourage the junior developers on my team to take on the challenging tasks partly because I want to see how far they can get on their own, but also because I know that my job is to help them. So I'm going to get to be a part of it either way.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean the other the other thing with with doing that, you know, is that the junior developer has a set of perspectives that you don't. Yeah. And like I've I've legitimately seen them go in and go, okay, this is way too hard to understand and come up with a simpler solution than a senior dev would have. Mm-hmm. That works just fine, and you know, like you or I would just hack around it or, you know, deal with it with, with the complexity. And a junior dev might go, "Okay, well, this just needs to be a for loop," and and that's the extent of it. And they're absolutely right, and we can't see it.
0: Yeah, no, and that that's that's true. I I will say I do like one of the things is they try to keep the uh, the development to where anyone can work on anything. Yeah, and so there's some comp more complex stuff that I don't do because it's not necessary. It's actually made me a better developer from that, from that perspective. So
1: yeah. Or at least, you know, like you, you cram it into a weird corner of the system where, and and isolate it so that most people don't have to deal with it.
0: Well, I mean, what, what happens is you still end up doing that complex stuff. It's just, you only do it when you have to do it. You don't do it just because, Oh yeah, this is, you know, Let me write this out in one line. And you're like, all right, you know, a five-line loop would have been just fine and much easier to read
1: than a one-line link statement. Yeah. So anyway. Especially with a left-outer join and all those. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: All sorts of fun. All sorts of fun. Um, Also, guys, like getting back to this point, members
1: of a favorite
0: team will be more reluctant to learn things from outside their team. Because from their perspective, the others aren't the favorites at the very least, it's going to make them prioritize their own work over cross training.
1: And so you get a knowledge silo going in the other direction too. That's kind of the point. It's like, there's, there's never, it's kind of like saying there's, there's never just one dysfunctional person in a dysfunctional relationship. There's never just one knowledge silo in a system of knowledge silos. There's always at least two. Yeah. The other thing with playing favorites is that it can also increase churn, which also creates knowledge silos and knowledge loss.
0: Yeah. Now, this sounds like it only applies to management. And I know Will said this a couple of times, too, already throughout this episode, because there's a lot of stuff that sounds like it's it's just management talk. But it's just as true if the team believes that certain people on there are the only ones capable of handling certain tasks. It's like I was talking about where I, I have seen teams that were like, oh, well, we just give all of those tasks to this person because you know they they're the senior developer they're the good like they can get it done whereas one of the things i really like about where i work is it's encouraged for everyone to take on harder tasks you know including junior developers to take on more challenging tasks and if you get stuck you ask for help and we get you we we train you through that process because that's how you're going to grow and and get
1: better Well, that's how you grow your senior devs too. That's true. That's really true. You can't tell them that because they get, (laughs) they get cranky about somebody thinking they need to grow, but we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's probably better for us than it is for them, honestly, for, you know, for seniors instead of juniors. Yeah. Really helps us a lot.
0: So guys, next communicate proactively. When you make changes to parts of the system, you should communicate to the rest of your team rather than just assuming that someone will ask you a question if they want to know something. And having to do pull requests kind of helps with this. While this won't necessarily mean that everyone gets cross-trained, it does at least provide the opportunity. And like like I was saying with pull requests, we we have... I know, I, I shot connery it a little bit. We have... <laughs> Where am I going with this? You cut me off, man. Uh, what we we do is like you you have to have at least one other developer approve it, and we try to get like there's we have a team of three as myself and two juniors, and we try to get all like they both of the other two to do it. But sometimes my head is so far deep in whatever I'm coding, I don't notice the PR come in. And I've told them I'm like, guys, if I haven't done anything in like within five to ten minutes after the other approval comes in, just go ahead and complete it. It's not that big a deal. Now, if it's something that they're like, hey, we really want you to look at this and make sure we did it right, they'll, like, I was like, send me a private Slack because it'll pop up on my screen and, like, jump up at me. But, you know, the the PRs, I can't get them to, like, jump up at me. I don't know.
1: When they well, if you're in. doing Teams, it's, it's really hit or miss because I miss mine, like, all the time. Yeah for the same thing, but it's a pain, man. It is. Yeah. I wish they could get, I wish they'd get teams like in order. It's yeah. It's about as frustrating dealing with teams right now as it was dealing with windows 10 for the first year or so. You remember? Yep. I remember. I remember proactive communication also is really helpful because it forces you to document your work soon after you complete it instead of putting it off. And then trying to reconstruct things from memory, because your memory's crap, just like everyone else's, it makes your documentation better because you're kind of closer to the problem when you're trying to describe the problem.
0: Another thing it does is that it helps with your more shy or introverted coworkers. They may be hesitant to ask questions. So if you start the discussion, they're much more likely to respond to an existing discussion than to initiate the conversation.
1: Yeah. And by the time they initiate it, they're usually kind of stressed too. So (laughs) yeah. yeah. And the last point, you also need to make sure that you respect the time and attention of the people that are in the other silos. Um, And there's a good reason for this because if you're constantly bugging them, they're going to tune you out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So while both asking for and giving help, you need to do it in a way that doesn't use up an excessive amount of time or create unwanted interruptions for the other party, right? So this may mean going, hey, you know, I know this person is a morning person and they work, you know, really hard in the morning. I'm going to ask them this question after lunch. It might also be like, hey, just send them an email and let them deal with it when the time comes instead of, you know, I don't know, calling them on Teams immediately when you get a question.
0: Uh, That's why I like Slack. We have Teams and Slack. Teams for meetings and then Slack for that and fun communication. Can't really have fun communication
1: on Teams, uh, like oh, you can do like private chats with your group. You just make you can do you don't private chat.
0: Yeah, but you don't get channels like we've got. You know, fun channels that you can. You know, if you're sitting here waiting on a test, you can hop over and look at what people are posting in the the gaming channel or the music channel or whatever.
1: We yeah, we got a channel for our team and then we've got a private chat for the team. And the private chat doesn't, you know, didn't have bosses looking in or whatever. And so if, if somebody's frustrated, it's also very, very helpful. Yeah. Because then depending on the level of frustration, they can pick which one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Other thing this does is it uh means that exchanges of information need to be scheduled, time boxed, and should have an agenda. That way, both the person sharing the information and the person receiving the information, they get what they need with as little time wasted as possible.
1: Right. Like you don't want an open ended meeting to discuss anything ever.
0: Mm-mm. No, you should always, always have at least an agenda.
1: Yep. An agenda and a time uh, and a time box. Yeah. You also need to be aware that you probably are, especially if you're, Discussing something complex, you're going to go off on tangents, right? So you don't go, "Hey, this will only take thirty minutes. I'll make a thirty minute meeting." If you think it's going to take thirty minutes, go. I'm going to give an hour meeting, and then let people have their time back if we don't go off on a tangent. Yeah, you know, and, and just kind of be uh, cognizant of that because when you cross train people, they ask a lot more questions, and it's questions that you don't think about. And and these tangents can be really really helpful for learning. Uh, either other parts of the system or how other people think or whatever. And you want to give a place for those to grow. So guys, knowledge silos are an inevitable fact of life in many, if not all environments. And we could frankly talk all day about the things that cause them, but the real trick is knowing how to get rid of them when they happen. While they are advantageous for a while, knowledge silos eventually become expensive risky for the company and they can make innovation very, very difficult. If you want a long career in tech, one of the most important things you can learn is how to cross-train yourself and others to get rid of these. Doing so doesn't just in- eliminate knowledge silos, but it also makes the team more productive, more resilient, and more able to quickly innovate when changes occur in the world. That pretty much wraps us up. Beach. what do you have this week for us for Tricks of the Trade?
0: So guys, just like we can silo knowledge that like, prevents the organization or like hurts the team as a whole, you can also kind of silo yourself and you want to be careful that you don't paint yourself into a corner with your own kind of training and knowledge base because it's it's very easy to do if you're not careful about it. you, know, you want to have enough breadth of knowledge to be able to pick up on new stuff. But you don't want it to be so wide that you never get good at anything. Like, you don't want to be a hello world expert. You can be a like, I, I've known plenty of people who like, you know, at that junior level, you do need to be like, you want to have your breadth of knowledge there, you know, the top of your T at, at that junior level. And some people never dive into anything. They they don't ever like they spend too much time there, and so they're just sort of stuck in this. Yeah, I can do a little bit of everything, but I'm not really good at anything. And you, you kind of want to try to avoid that. Now, the other side of that same coin is, you know, why you want to have enough depth in an area or two to be an expert. You don't want to have so much that you neglect learning other areas that may benefit you in what you're doing in that area of expertise. The way I think about it is when I, I did my dive, uh, I went into the, the C-sharp API side. Because when I started, I was Angular, C-sharp, and SQL. I mean, that's kind of what I did. That was my breadth there. And then I dove into the C-sharp side. But I didn't neglect the other I didn't put as much effort into it as I did the C-sharp, but I still kind of kept up with the changes in Angular and things like that. So that when I did get this promotion to this lead, I ended up leading a team. Now we're doing both front-end and back-end, but when I first started, we were the front-end team on a project. And so I'm coming from being like the .NET Core C-sharp guy because I was the one who dove into that first. So I was the one who was the expert on it. Not really that I'm an expert, just that where I was at, I was. And I was going from that
1: to now I'm leading a team doing front end stuff. So you never know where you're going to end up, you know, and you do have to keep that balance. A friend of mine said that uh, specialization is for insects, but generalization is for buzzards.
0: Yep. makes sense (laughs) you You, you need to be someone you want to be (laughs) yeah it's like uh, I think I heard this in a sermon actually but uh, it's like you're driving down a road and there's ditches on either side you go too far to one extreme or the other you're going to wind up in the ditch you want to kind of stay in that middle area there
1: so if you dig through the ditches you end up being Rob Zombie yeah (laughs) (laughs) anyway
0: that's pretty much all I got Uh, guys Check us in the aftercast. We're going to talk about uh, kind of how silos occur, and then ways that you can recognize them in your organization so that you can start making changes. Standby for
1: Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast dot com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Purebells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons.
0: For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter at complete pod. Like our page on Facebook and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.